What's up? This is Tech Lively, the podcast brought to you by The Technique, our on-campus newspaper. I'm Sarah Miller, the editor of Tech Lively. The Technique covers everything and anything about life at Georgia Tech, and so does Tech Lively. So if you want to voice your opinion, don't hesitate to reach out to us. New issues of The Technique come out every Friday, and be sure to tune in to Tech Lively's new releases. Hello, welcome to Tech Lively, the Techniques podcast on campus. Uh, my name is Jack Purdy. I'm the assistant sports editor. And today is the first time I get to talk to one of my professors, which is a treat. Uh, I have Mr. Bill Todd here who graduated in 1971, correct? That's right. All right. And that was an IM as well. That's right. I'll be uh, chairing my 50th reunion at homecoming in a couple of weeks. My goodness. My parents are not even close to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Last semester, I had two students whose grandfathers were friends of mine. Wow. <laughs> that, we, I've, we're getting into that territory with some of my parents' friends, but that we're not, we're not there yet. Can you give us like a basic elevator pitch of how you got to tech, why you're at tech right now? Well, I had a 40-year career in healthcare administration. Uh, the first 20 years were in more traditional hospital administration in the Emory system. I was at Grady and Wesley Woods, Emory Hospital, the medical school, the clinic, and finally the Medical Center Administration. And in the second 20 years of my career, I started three healthcare companies. And I have been so involved in volunteer activities, civically in Atlanta and particularly at Georgia Tech, that the former president, Bud Peterson, used to tease me, saying, you're over here so often, we ought to just get you an office. <laughs> I mean, I was on the search committee that brought him here. I was on the foundation board, still am, the Alumni Association board chair, uh, the capital campaign vice chair, external advisory board for BME chair for five years. Students come in this office, Jack, and they look around and they say, there's a lot of glass. you got a lot of glass, Professor. There is a lot of glass in here. And I say, yeah, that's what you get for doing volunteer work in lieu of pay. But they're all nice, and they're all meaningful. And um, so I was around so much, and he mentioned that two or three times. And then the, the last time he said, you know, we really ought to think about that. You ought to consider having a, a pre-retirement gig of uh, teaching in the Scheller College of Business as a professor of the practice. So I did that in 2011 after 40 years of management and thought it would be a three-year plan. And I've been here now 10 and have no interest in retiring because I enjoy it so much. That's good to hear. Well, I was, I would have been 12 when you started here, <laughs> which I've been a lot. That's that's ha almost, that's just under half my life you've been yeah. doing this, which yeah. makes me feel old, even though I'm definitely not in this comparison <laughs> right now. Um, back when you first like got to tech when you were a student, was I, I assume you were from the area or what got you to actually decide, okay, yeah, let me try this engineering school out yeah i'm a fourth generation atlantan and um never lived anywhere else i've been all over the world and and counting up the times i've taught and study abroad i've been away in either england or ireland living for almost a year but i've never really lived permanently anywhere else and so i had obviously deep roots in atlanta I grew up with georgia tech i went to my first tech georgia game at age six <laughs> and i worked at bobby dodd stadium Grant Field uh, selling Cokes when I was in high school 
and uh, only applied to one place. That was probably not very smart, but uh, I was uh, I was counting on going to Georgia Tech and matriculated in September of 1966. My goodness, my, my parents were negative five years old. <laughs> you don't have uh, to keep saying. That. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's um, no, fun. I only applied to three schools. I applied to here, Georgia, and Auburn. Georgia, knowing that was my backup school, and Auburn because my dad went there and they were not going to give me enough scholarship money to make it happen. Right, so it was just right. like, well, it's tech or bust at this point, right. which Georgia is a bust at the time when I was applying. Um, so that's cool. Um, for those that don't know, can you explain what professor of the practices? Cause I actually did not know what that was until I came to your class. Yeah, that's else. a fairly new concept. Um, my classmate and friend Gary Jones, who teaches a financial management course here was one of the first, some 15 years ago, another fellow member of the foundation board, Mark Dash, probably was the first about 17 years ago. And we are not academics. Uh, we are uh, here because we have typically 40 years of experience. And our goal is to help make the transition from theory to practice. Hmm. So students are well-grounded in the theory, whatever school or college they're from, uh, and then toward the end of their four years or five years, they get really focused on what does this mean? How do I apply it? Where, does it, where are we going? And so we spend a lot of time with students in career advisement and uh, relationships, uh, getting to know decision makers in our field. At one point, maybe five years ago, I asked the provost how many there were, and he didn't know. Oh, dear. And had to go look it up because it's a very decentralized, opportunity-driven position. Right. It's not like a strategy that the central administration, the president says, let's have this many professors of the practice. Mm-hmm. Deans and school chairs and others see opportunities and bring mostly alumni, not all, but mostly alumni into uh, this this role to help with uh, this transfer from theory to practice. Two of the most recent are very interesting. One is an astronaut in AE. Sandy Magnus has flown in space three times. Wow. And she's teaching now in the aerospace engineering. Two of the most interesting uh, two four-star officers from the military. Uh, one, an admiral who was vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, which is the number two person in the entire military. Well, that'll do. The other was an Air Force general who was the director of NATO in Brussels. And they retired about the same time. And uh, the head of the International Affairs Program here at Georgia Tech, who is a professor of the practice, saw that opportunity because they're both Tech alums, and ironically, they were fraternity brothers and roommates when they were here. Wow. So they're now teaching in the Sam Nunn School of International Affairs and have sellout programs. It's really hard to get into, actually. You have to apply. But the value mostly is that we have incredible contacts. We know a lot of people. Mm-hmm. We've worked with a number of decision makers and influencers and can bring them into the classroom. So all of us have lots of guest speakers. You, you know, in your own class, we have something like... <clears throat> 10 or 12 guest speakers. So in our course, we alternate between cases, the case method being the preferred teaching style in a college of business. Mm -hmm. And so we'll have a case, and then we'll have a guest speaker, and it pretty much alternates back and forth. 
And sometimes the the speakers are actually in the cases, uh, which makes it interesting. That does, yes. Now, when we had uh, Dr. Curran visit our class, I realized that was the first time I had met someone in person from a based on a true story movie that was still alive. Yeah. Which wasn't yeah. a thing. I was like, oh, that will just casually happen yeah, at my usual 9.30 a.m. class on a Tuesday. But Yeah, that's a, that was a real special treat. And he has done that for the entire 10 years I've been uh, teaching. I created this course when I first got here. It took two semesters to get it through all the approvals and processes and committees and so forth. So I taught it for the first time in the summer of 12. I arrived in August of 11. And uh, it's been it's been successful. We get good feedback. We have 71 former students in medical school or residency now because the pre-meds find it to be very helpful in understanding how the system works or mm-hmm. doesn't work. And uh, they find it helpful when they do their medical school interviews and then eventually when they get into the clinic or the hospital, they mm-hmm. understand what it's like. Yeah, that makes sense. And it seems quite important just so you know what your actions are going to do down the chain of command or up and down just or just even with just the patient right how all the various pieces work together or don't very well right it's a very fragmented industry and uh it uh it's helpful to understand the way it works so uh, by design it's an interdisciplinary course i don't think y'all get enough opportunity to have um, exposure to students in other fields so 60 percent of the students are from sheller and 40 percent are from everywhere else Mm -hmm. i always have a lot of Uh, biomedical engineering students because it's so relevant to their world Uh, a lot of biology and uh, chem e students who are headed to medical school and uh, so it's a it's been fun that's why i don't want to retire that's nice i wasn't my next question actually was we've kind of touched it like why do you do what you do at this point maybe i'll reframe it why why is being a professor so valuable to you now after being in the industry for so long and certainly having at least the the merit to sit down and retire on a beach somewhere yeah well everything i've done in my professional career has been in a very macro especially the last 20 years where i was forming these three companies they all had really big visions and um, very macro approaches to things and so if i was making a difference it was at scale Mm mm-hmm uh, this is exactly opposite. In this case, I have an opportunity to make a difference in students' lives at the micro level on a one-on-one basis. Uh, for example, when I uh, created the, the Georgia Research Alliance in 1990, uh, the mission was really to foster the technology industry in the state, to grow the per capita income by strategically creating all the elements that were necessary. And, of course, we see it now. Here in Technology Square, all the pieces are here. And that's why just Wednesday, Cisco announced that they're bringing 700 jobs into the Coda building next door, a $41 million investment. And that wouldn't have happened without some of the things we did. Well, that's a that's a pretty big deal, and yeah. and uh, it, it's, a, it's a nice accomplishment to have created that from scratch. But you can't touch it. You can't really know uh, very much about it it's it's uh it's it's big it's macro uh, in this role um, i'm getting to know students on a one-on-one basis and some students say the nicest things you know and i get lots and lots of handwritten notes 
you know, you helped me get a job, you helped me find a career, uh, you helped me make contacts in this area, whatever. And uh, that's that's very satisfying and rewarding. I enjoy it. That's good to hear. No, that's I think it's what students would want to hear also from a professor as well. That's like, no, we I've I've done the other thing. Now I really want to actually be touching lives on the one-to-one basis. Yeah, I think that's the common um, denominator among the 41 or 42 of us. There's at least one in each of the six colleges, a professor of the practice. Okay. And uh, when you talk to uh, folks, they say it's a chance to, to give back. You know, we all give back philanthropically, but this is a, a way to give back in a more personalized basis, one-on-one student uh, activity. How many uh, professor practices do we have at Scheller right now? I think there's six, uh, five or six. Um, it, this this kind of education lends itself to it more than some others, but, you know, they're professors of the practice in building construction and architecture, and um, they're actually a couple in uh, in Ivan Allen College. Uh, well, they're, they're two generals. The, the general and the admiral I mentioned, they're in Ivan Allen College in International Affairs. And I met one the other day. Uh, I gave a guest lecture in ISYE, and it happened to be in a CE classroom. And the fellow who was in the classroom before me, he was shutting down. I was setting up. We got to talking. He's a brand-new professor of the practice in civil engineering who, who had taught civil engineering at the military academy. So he's a tech alum, mm-hmm. as are most of us, and uh, he had the same thought. This is a way to end my career by giving back and having contact with, with individual students. And, you know, I've taught some 1,700 students now. Um, I'm having lunch today with one of my first, who's a very successful investment banker with um, Truist, um, and she's coming back to to chat about, you know, what's next in her career. Wow. Um, so that was 10 years ago. So that's rewarding. That's really cool. I've been to seven weddings of students. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I've actually read scripture in two of them. I mean, who would have ever guessed that? I, I certainly wouldn't yeah, when I was exactly. a student here. I'd say, well, that'll never happen. That, that's incredible. <laughs> you know, I'm, having, I'm helping with a friend's wedding in a couple of weeks, and I'm just like, man, I just feel like you just even get into one with someone my age. Yeah. Never mind the fact that, we're all getting married later and later and later in life. Yeah, but, yeah. No, it's cool you're able to see that kind of reward, just not not just inside the classroom, but once you step out. It's like, no, okay, it's the the, the effects are down the line yeah. a lot, which, I, Lord willing, I'll have something like that happen to me. Um, I do want to touch on your Atlanta roots because you mentioned your fourth generation. Right. Um, do you know originally when your, your family got to Atlanta? I do. Um one branch came from the in the very beginning, 1847, when Atlanta was first chartered. Um, that was a period of tremendous immigration from Ireland, the Great Potato, potato Famine. Mm-hmm. A third of the country died, a third of the country left. And seven brothers came over from Ireland to Savannah and then up to Atlanta in the earliest days of founding it. And then another branch came in the 1850s toward the end of the potato famine, but that's what had precipitated it. The three brothers came over to Savannah and then to Columbus, Georgia. The daughter of one of those brothers, my direct ancestor, uh, William McGovern, uh, his daughter moved to Atlanta after the Civil War in the 1870s, and she owned a 
hat shop on Decatur Street. So she was an early female entrepreneur. Wow. Decatur Street. That's, uh, I know where, I know, I know I remember the street. It's, it's where, uh, where Georgia State is. Okay, okay. Kind of okay. right in the middle of their, okay. their urban campus. Nice. And has your family stayed mostly in the same, like, neighborhood area, or do you all, have you all spread out throughout the various locales? Well, I'm the oldest of nine. Wow. <laughs> so most are in the uh, metro area, not in the same neighborhoods. I mean, scattered out like so many people. Mm-hmm. I'm the only one that has the, the deep ITP roots. Uh, <laughs> I, I live... Three, four blocks from here, walk to work uh, on the 20th floor of a, an apartment building. And on the southeast corner, I can basically look at my whole life unfolded uh, where I was born, which is now SunTrust Plaza, where I went to high school, which is now the Marriott Marquis. Oh, wow. Uh, school there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, then I can look over this way and see Georgia Tech. Then I can see Grady, my first job. Right there on the horizon, and then I look out to the east and see Inman Park and Virginia Highland, where I was an early pioneer, and then I see the Emory Campus, where I spent 20 years. So, yeah, I have I have pretty deep roots. That's really cool, <laughs> just to see all of it. Yeah, that's just decades of yeah. where you've been. You just you can't look anywhere without seeing something that could trigger. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Ab- absolutely. That's cool. All right, I want to merge both that and the healthcare stuff. Okay. Where so I know, I think we have not had to. Uh, engage much with the healthcare system in Atlanta, just been blessed with good health. But Atlanta itself, between Emory and Grady and, and Shoah, we've had, it's it's becoming a really good focal spot for the, how healthcare is developing in America. What have, where, what have you seen Atlanta turn into and just what, what do you think its role is becoming in the next couple decades? Well, the, the intersection of health delivery services, those hospitals you mentioned and others, and the research engine that we see developing has really become something pretty special. Um, there are some communities that have actually transitioned from traditional heavy industries into healthcare and education being the primary employer. Pittsburgh, for example, mm-hmm. used to be a steel town. Now it is a, a very heavily oriented toward healthcare and research with Carnegie Mellon and others so that is a that is a, a a big shift for Atlanta and it's still in progress the the hospital systems are in the process of aggregation so the big ones Emory Piedmont Wellstar are beginning to acquire other hospitals mm-hmm. and that's happened in every industry you know we have three big legacy airlines we have three big auto manufacturers. We have three big banking companies, three telecommunications companies, and, mm-hmm. and it's continuous. It's late coming to health care, but it, it's continuing. And so those are major employment centers and major economic units. But when you add the CDC, which is absolutely unique, no other city has that. Right. It's the only federal agency headquartered outside Washington. The CDC, the Carter Center, uh, the Task Force for Global Health, CARE, American Cancer Society. This is a major center for um, the, the the business of health care mm-hmm. and uh, the financing of of, um, of of research and development and and medical breakthroughs. And that's that's the, really the promise, and it's uh, it's happening. A lot of things are happening in Atlanta. It's, my dad started two companies here now. Really? Yeah. And my mom 
I think my mom's technically started too as well, but much lower stakes than what my dad's done. How do you think tech gets involved? Is going to be involved in this too? Because I know we have literally the technology side that is ever ever blossoming and turning into whatever it seems to need to become at any given moment. And we also have the pre-med side of things, so we can produce in theory both the technology and the people parts of it at the same time. Um, yeah, how do, how do you see us getting or being involved in this? Well, yesterday I was the moderator for a, a fireside chat with the former president, G. Wayne Clough, who was our president for 14 years from 93 to 08. And one of the most dramatic changes that he oversaw was the development of the BioQuad. Georgia Tech had basically no presence in the life sciences until uh, the early 90s. And now that is a huge part of the enterprise, the Mm -hmm. research enterprise. And where we're really making hay, I think, is in connecting all of that to the healthcare industry. Mm -hmm. Because to discover something in a lab and never get it to the bedside is an abject failure. Right. Um, And, you know, I love our, our new mission statement. I participated in the process of creating the strategic plan and the first day I heard it from President Cabrera I I didn't even write it down Uh, he gave the the foundation kind of a sneak preview of it one day actually I know what day it was it was March 14th 2020 the late the day we went out (laughs) not fondly but I remember that yeah and uh, we developed leaders who advanced technology to improve the human condition I love that. Every single word means something, and uh, it's it's wonderful instruction, and I put it at the top of the syllabus in all the courses I teach now because I, I believe strongly that organizations where the mission is well-known and bought into by various constituencies are more successful than others, and there's mm-hmm. plenty of research that bears that out. So I'm really strong on mission, and the fact that we have uh, a life sciences component as formidable as it is is a wonderful pathway to implementing that last part improving the human condition Mm -hmm. you can do that through traditional engineering certainly but when you add the life sciences uh, then you get into healthcare, which is you know one-fifth of the economy yeah 3.3 trillion dollars a year in this country is spent on that and it's growing in fact it's growing so fast, there's some concerns about it. Can we sustain it? Mm-hmm. But it's an indication of a value system in a way that we value life and we value taking care of people and we're spending more and more and more money on, uh, on doing it well. So we're in the middle of all that at Georgia Tech and I'm very proud of that. I have pretty deep roots in that too. Uh, I was at Emory uh, as the chief of staff for the director of the Emory Medical Center and he said to me one day, uh, you're a Georgia Tech graduate. Well, how about going over there and talk to some people and figure out if we can't develop a partnership between Emory and Georgia Tech? We have medicine, no engineering. They have engineering, no medicine. And there's this big pool of opportunity in the middle. So I came over here, and I had uh, $200,000 in my pocket, which is a nice incentive that, to, that, that helps. <laughs> to, to get going. And that was the earliest stages in 1987 of what is now the very robust 
Emory, Georgia Tech, Coulter Department of Biomedical Engineering, and then all of the other related uh, connections between the two. So it's been, you know, wildly successful, and I feel good about that. That's really cool. I wish, uh, I don't wish I knew I knew about, uh, I think I was mostly somewhat aware of that coming into when I came to tech. I knew I was going to be probably doing business because my, my sites were not super science or engineering. Like, that mm-hmm. was not how my brain wanted to go. I didn't want to get too deep into something and business helped me stay kind of at a 10,000 foot level right. on a lot of things. I think our, the class I'm in with you is kind of an example of that. I'm like, okay, I do want to know about these things that we do. I don't want to be the one that's telling you what muscle is doing the wrong thing or something like that, or telling you what angle you need to have something for sheer force or whatever. Happy to observe, but um, no, it's good. Knowing that we're getting our roots all in as many places as we can. And it has been, growing for that well, well that's why i thought it was important to create this course because the very example i used if you if you develop something if you create something if you discover something in one of these biomedical engineering labs the only way it gets to the bedside is through a business process right so business people need to understand this industry in order to add value and and, and create something pretty special mm-hmm that's cool. All right, I want to shift gears because we're both sports fans <laughs> in big ways. That was the first thing I remember is watching Braves games growing up. I know you remember if a golf club nearby. Um, I guess what I want to know is I'm only I'm relatively new still to the tech sports landscape. I grew up an Auburn fan, so I wasn't as honed in during the Calvin Johnson years right. and the Justin Thomas years. How and we used to be pretty a much bigger Titan in at least football than we are now, just because like wasn't as many teams here we were in atlanta that was a bigger bargaining chip than it is now compared to other big schools compared let's say in the last 20 years back in 90 when we last won a football championship what have you seen that's been noticeably different nowadays that may have to do i know that may have to do with what just our goals are as an institution um just our recruiting and whatnot what have you what have you seen that's different well i think you have to go back even farther than that to, to document a real change in in culture Uh, when the braves and falcons came to atlanta in 65 and 66 respectively it changed the landscape in the entertainment of sports it Mm -hmm. used to be before that the georgia tech football was the hottest ticket in town yeah it was a social thing people uh, who really didn't even have any connection to georgia tech came to all the games and participated in all the pageantry because it was a social event and then the marketplace fractured with the presence of professional sports. Mm-hmm. And you have to go back to to maybe the early 70s to see a real shift in philosophy from the Institute to the Athletic Association. Mm-hmm. It got to a very low point. In fact, we even had a president who talked up maybe getting out of Division One sports. Really? Yeah. Well, the alumni from the earlier days were horrified with that I because imagine. it was such a an important part of the of the culture. You know, national champions and fifty two and fifty five, uh, winning the Southeastern Conference frequently, and it was a rebuilding program. And Dr. Homer Rice, who's now ninety something years old, uh, presided over that rebuilding. I think from the time you you mentioned from ninety on, it's just been successes or disappointments in in coaching mm-hmm. and organizations go through that highs right. and yep. lows and takes a while to build it up and then you get disappointed when they get recruited away or something 
that's what happened with o- O'Leary. Uh, George O'Leary was the was the coach, and uh, things were going really well. And then he got smitten with Notre Dame. That didn't work out so well. But uh, he he went on to Central Florida and has been very successful. Yeah. Uh, but we're in a in a rebuilding right now. Um, that uh, is is this part of the cycle? I think it's not endemic that the the school has has abandoned professional sports. Mm-hmm. I think all live sports are challenged right now, even the pros, with so many entertainment options. Right, and attendance is down even in the NFL. Yeah. So that's something we have to work out. Todd Stansberry is a terrific leader in that regard. And uh, I'm I'm very bullish on on him and what he's brought. Uh, I actually knew him when he was a student. Uh, it used to be acceptable for alumni to participate in in recruiting. Okay. And uh, I was at Emory, and I would Coach Bill Curry would would ask me to entertain uh, prospects who thought they might want to go to medical school. So I would bring them to Emory. We'd go to the OR. I'd introduce them to some physicians who were tech alums and so forth. One of them was Todd Stansbury. Wow. <laughs> he decided not to pursue medicine, but he did come here. And uh, it was fun when we reunited when he came back as our athletic director. That's really cool. I didn't know he had that background yeah. in, the, in possibly doing medicine. But yeah. dang, yeah, I'm just thinking through the ramifications of that. Like, that's a. Like, a name dropped about three massive names right there <laughs> that I just would dream of shaking their hands oh that's really cool i and nowadays since in the this is my fifth year here i've been here since fall 17 if anything the the real success story seemed to have been volleyball and baseball and not we had the we had one bowl game we've had one bowl game since i got here which was uh minnesota in the quick lane i want to say yeah yeah it's been a drought no question about it yeah volleyball is uh is fascinating i love to go to those games and and one of your classmates was one of the stars of a big win against Pittsburgh the other day. I'm sure the students think this guy must be so eccentric. Uh, my practice is I always start class on the Tuesday after we've won a football game with the highlights. Yep. If we don't win, I don't even mention it. <laughs> but this time I was able to show some highlights from the big win of the volleyball team in Pittsburgh. First time ever beating them, number two in the nation. It's a big win for us. We've yeah. had, that's our third ranked win of the year, yeah. I think. Which yeah. is, now I'm like, crap, i got to put all the volleyball games in my schedule now and exactly. find a way into O'Keefe before I'm out of here. And I think uh, Tech Baseball is one of the best and most entertaining events we have. I enjoy those a lot, and I enjoy having players in my, my class. Yeah, they've had a fair number of continued success. I mean, having the same manager for as long as we have, yeah. is, that's something. I mean, even in a sport yeah. where you can kind of get by with – sticking around a little bit longer than say football or whatnot just because there's enough randomization in baseball there's yeah everything's gonna be a coaching staff's problem but and danny's a fine person he's a friend and he has a, a great track record uh, he and bruce hepler both uh are favorites among the faculty because their students do well uh the golf team is typically oh i forgot about them on, yeah they're great too all on the dean's list you know yeah, we had two uh uh, championships, uh, amateur championships in a row. Both of them were my students, and uh, that was fun. We, I started off class one day in the spring of 19 with highlights of of uh, winning the U.S. Amateur Championship, and he turned beet red <laughs> from the, from his seat on the left side. 
Imagine winning the U.S. Amateur and having to come back to class yeah. <laughs> that, that next week. Exactly. That's really cool. And then at one point, they were roommates, and uh, they actually had two trophies uh, in their apartment at one time. That's really cool. That's never happened before. Wow. Uh, last thing I want to hit on, um, I've brought this up with everyone else I've talked to, that this year is beyond just the fact that it's a COVID year. The One of the side effects is that we've got effectively two new sets of people on campus at the same time for the first time. I know some friends that were here last year, but it like it hard to say it fully counts cuz they didn't they didn't really get the full experience. The traditions weren't happening. You weren't seeing the thousands of people walking around campus. And so, and for me like I used my junior year th- to 2 years ago, I'd walk around and I recognized most if if I didn't know their names, I recognized a number of faces just from being mm-hmm. around a lot. And this year it's it's made it's far less just because there's been a giant cycling of so many new people and a lot of people that i knew that i would have seen last year on campus that i just didn't because either they weren't there or we just weren't moving around as much um what have you seen that's unique to this year having this many new people experiencing tech for the first time well i mentioned that i'm chairing my 50th reunion we're having to share it with the class of 70 oh also uh, and the same thing is happening everywhere like as Dr. Cabrera said, we had to have new student orientation for two classes yeah. at one time. Yeah. And uh, so you can't get as much attention uh, mm-hmm. with that. But, you know, we're not going to whine about it. We're going to deal with it and, and be resilient and make it work. Um, but it is, it's it's in many ways kind of a lost year. Yeah. No, last year felt like there was, we were kind of, we were, we were there, at least in spirit. We were given our best go. But I mean, even I didn't. I didn't walk into a classroom until spring. Until this past spring. Yeah, at my age, I was pretty conservative and, and didn't go to any basketball games, even though I have Callaway Club seats. Mm-hmm. Um, because being indoors, I only went to two football games actually, after not missing hardly at all since I was a junior in high school. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to be indoors, and lo and behold, we had one of our best seasons I ever. I know. I. I <laughs> I ponied up and made the trip to Indianapolis for the uh, for our game against Loyola. Did you? Yeah, which thankfully I got a I was able to get a press pass out of it for from the technique which was nice, but we got to be in Butler's arena which yeah. I didn't realize in the moment when I walked around I'm like, I think I recognized this building. I had no idea I was in the Hoosiers building <laughs> from the movie. And I was like, "Oh, yeah. this makes a lot of sense now." Yeah, absolutely. But we we got through it. We we did it and I'm I'm proud of some of the things we've done, like the asymptomatic testing program, I think is just brilliant, and it's helped us manage things. Mm-hmm. And I really, it was so hard to do hybrid; it was very difficult. Yeah, I hate standing on that. They had a red X on the floor. Mm-hmm. The faculty member was supposed to stand there the whole time in order to be in the camera. Well, I walk around, as you know, and yeah. wave my arms and so forth, and I couldn't stand having to be a technical guy, an audiovisual guy, and Stand on that red spot the whole time. I'm, I'm glad to be back full time in the classroom. It's much better, especially for me too. Just having the purpose to like, I gotta get, I gotta get to the building. And yeah. once you're there, it's like, no, I'm, I know why I'm here. I'm not, yeah. not trying to fool around. Like this is right. I came here for a reason versus waking up doing something else on my, on my couch and then logging onto a class and right. haphazardly kind of being there, being somewhere else. I felt like such a jerk uh, during the hybrid times. I, I cold called two women in a row who were remote and didn't get an answer. Mm-hmm. And I made a smart alecky comment that I regretted right away. I Ugh. said, well, I guess they uh, 
They logged in and then went for a jog, and the chat line blew up <laughs> oh, and said, no. Professor, we can't hear you, and it turns out the mic had died. Oh, no. Had to change the batteries. Well, fortunately, they didn't hear me say that, oh, dear. but the people in the classroom, the half who were there, oh, no. they did, and said, well, that wasn't very nice. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, at least we're seemingly getting out of this to some capacity. It seems like it. Um, my last question of your time at Tech, what is, yeah, what's your proudest moment of either yourself here or just what you've seen well, gosh, that's a that's a tough one. I have two sons and a daughter-in-law who are alums. I'm very proud of that. They're all doing well. One just got a big promotion yesterday. My daughter-in-law is one of the founders of a company that has now been declared a a, a, a unicorn. It's been valued at 1.5 billion. Wow. My other son is the youngest director at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. So I'm very proud of them. Um, I'm very proud of the contribution of Georgia Tech to the Atlanta economy and Atlanta community. Mm -hmm. I knew Ivan Allen Jr. Uh, We were at Rotary, Atlanta Rotary together. I used to sit with him whenever I could. And he was a very inspirational leader. It's wonderful that our College of Liberal Arts is named for him, but he was a tremendous positive force and and there's something in the water about georgia tech people becoming leaders Mm -hmm. and that's why i appreciated so much in that mission statement that we develop leaders uh that that's distinctive that will have georgia tech stand out from other fine higher education institutions and uh it's continuing and i'm I'm very proud of that that's good yeah thankful i get to be here and just be part of the ride because i know it's it's not guaranteed for really anybody that's right and being able to find my way in here and get my brother to come here too it's been it's oh been good fun. good yeah. um well thank you this my was pleasure lovely. jack um the technique if you don't know what it is it is our weekly newspaper that comes out on newsstands physically not also online but it is a physical paper you can touch and read like your parents probably did when they were growing up um you can find it at buildings like sheller which is the one we're in um and then near Sheller, uh, where else would it be in near Sheller? Actually, there's not many other school buildings near Sheller, so we're kind of out here in an isolated corner. Well, there will be as soon as they... Yes, there is a... Over the last couple of weeks from our classroom, we've been able to see a <laughs> building get knocked down by a couple cranes um, where the new ISYE building is, where if you're listening to this in five years, there'll probably be a new stand there as well with <laughs> whoever's producing the paper and then. But yeah, where we can find... A big building on campus, our paper is there. You can read us online at neek.net. That is N-I-Q-U-E dot net. This podcast is called Tech Lively. You can find it on Podbean, Spotify, and Apple. Professor Todd, this was an absolute joy. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jack. All right. We'll see you all next time.